Hey, wanna watch a movie? What movie? You know, the one about the thing that one time. What are you looking at? I'm a bitch with a gun. Get your shit! Get your shit! And get out! All my life I had to fight. I had to fight my daddy, I had to fight my uncles, I had to fight my brothers. Listen, you think because you got a badge and I got a couple of degrees, that makes a difference? Do you know what white folks call people like you and me in private? Drop the law, baby. Take the shit back. Just for a night, take the shit back. I'm so freaking pissed. The world's gonna die. I can feel it coming. Uh, who all in it? Welcome to Who All In It, a spin-off podcast of Who All Gonna Be There that explores movies through a critical race lens. I'm Mel. Still, I work. Rain, sleet, or fire, apparently. None of my jobs technically make me qualified to review movies, but I'm Black, and I'm here, and it's the holidays, so I'm watching more movies than ever. I'm pretty sure that makes me an expert. Prove me wrong. And I'm Ariella, and I am working, doing things, film things, art things, occasionally. Who knows why at this point? I am also Black in here and watching movies, and I may like them better than people at this point. <laughs> so we welcome your feedback or shout outs or suggestions about movies or our reviews. Feel free to write in or drop a video recording to our, e- our email at natturnerproject0 at gmail.com, and we will play it and respond on the podcast. We certainly welcome your thoughts and opinions on the movies we review and the movies you think we should review. So today we will be talking about the 40-year-old version, not to be confused um, with the Steve Carell joint um, a decade ago, was it a decade ago? Um, this movie is directed by Rada Blank, who also produced and wrote it and is the star. Um, other producers of this movie include Lena Waithe, who I guess I like again after seeing this movie. Um, mm-hmm. Risha Rajani, <laughs> Jennifer Semler, Jordan Fudge, Inuka Bakoni Kapiga. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, and as I mentioned, it's starring Rada Blank, also Peter Kim, Oswin Benjamin, and Reed Burney. And the music is done by Guy C. and Root. Um, Ariella, do you have any um, sort of uh, backstory on this movie or how it came to be? Um, I did read an article about how Rada Blank um, came to this movie after working in television for a long time, which I thought was really interesting. And it's like loosely, it's very like loosely biographical um, in the sense that this is her first feature um, and, you know, is coming sort of like mid-career for her. Mm -hmm. um, And is clearly the product of a lot of consideration and study of film. Um, even coming from a television background uh, which like I said I think is really interesting just considering like you know there are just so many black women who start in television and also like make their careers in television and sort of like bounce back and forth um, between that and then making feature film as well like I believe Julie Dash worked in television 
um, Nima Barnett, who is one of the, um, like one of the most successful uh, black women producers who's been working for like decades and decades in the industry. She started out in television. Um, yeah, and just thinking about like that sort of, like how we think about like what we consider to be like art and like black women's stories and like what is considered legitimate or illegitimate and how television and like the respectability politics that play into like what we study in terms of media studies plays into that too. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting that she comes from TV and you can see, you can see it in her writing. Like, I just think that really good TV, it forces you to write in like a certain way. Yeah. Um, and the film is just like so expertly written and like sharp and funny. I think it really shows. Yeah. Um, and I think it's worth noting that from, at least from the outside looking in, it seems to me that black women get to cut their teeth more um, in the television industry than they would in film. Cause I'm look, I'm looking, I'm thinking of like Shonda Rhimes and Ava DuVernay and what they were allowed to do in television versus what they're allowed to do in film. And it seems like they have more agency um, um, and they're able to do more work um, across different, like, um, like uh, utilizing different skill sets and different titles in television rather than being constricted to just one thing in film is, mm -hmm. it, is what it looks like to me. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I'm thinking of what Ava DuVernay did with Queen Sugar, um, where she rotates out um, the producers of each episode and she's made a point of it of, of like hiring women specifically to tell those stories for those episodes. Um, and I don't know if you have the same um, leeway in film, so. Yeah, you don't. I mean, like, um, like Victoria Mahoney, um, who's one of the, so like you can like look down the list of like people who've worked on Queen Sugar, um, especially people who've directed Queen Sugar. And it's basically like a who's who of black women in contemporary independent film. Um, like I'm thinking about Victoria Mahoney, who I think, I think it, I'm talking, I think I'm speaking about her correctly, but, um, I think she was able to like cut her directing teeth up, um, directing an episode of Queen Sugar. I might be wrong. Um, but you know, the stakes are lower for directing an episode of television. Mm -hmm. So being able to do that and have another black woman give you the chance, like often will give you the, um, the credibility that it takes to be able to sell directing a feature film yeah um or to be able to build that up you know and as we know like people are much less likely to give black women a chance first of all but having black women who have who who are able to like hold roles of power especially like producing um has allowed has like been able to like open the door for like a lot of other folks as well yeah. um but yeah, I was thinking about Queen Shanger too as being like really emblematic of that, like in terms of how hard Ava goes, like it's so like Queen Sugar is so much more interesting than I feel like the majority of feature work that she's doing now, to be honest. Yeah. Like, and I don't, I'm, I'm not entirely sure that her lack of, uh, her lack of like, full-grown success in film is entirely her fault. Um, it feels like there are more some bureaucratic decisions that are being made um, that are hindering her in that industry. So, because I mean, I look at the stuff that she's doing in television and I look at the stuff that she's doing in film and there's this huge disparity to me. Um, so 
I just wonder what's happening in those different sets of rooms that's creating that, you know? Yeah. But, but what did Rada Blank do in television? That's a great question. I did not do enough research. She does not come off like a novice in this film at all. I did not know this was her first film. It's that's crazy to me. So yeah, it's definitely it's her first feature, but she wrote on She's Gotta Have It. Um The series or the movie? The series. Um and Empire. Okay. But not a lot. And then I guess like not not a lot of other credits, like as I can see from IMDB. But it says that she's been in the game for a minute. And she also came, comes from a theater background, too, which is reflected in the movie. So she's, like, written successful plays and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. But the She's Gotta Have It connection makes a lot of sense to me because I feel like I saw a lot of, like, Spike Lee references in the cinematography and sort of, like, the setup of the jokes and stuff. Yeah. 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 And, of course, the, like, New York vibe. Definitely that. Yeah. <laughs> um... So you've already kind of started, but like, I guess we should get into general thoughts about the movie before we do the synopsis. And like, as you mentioned, Rada coming from a television background seems to factor in here. Um, and do you want to talk a little bit more about like the nods to Spike Lee and Woody Allen um, and maybe Scorsese and all those other New York directors? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, it's so funny, because like, when she when I was reading about it, and she was like, citing all those people as her references, I was just like, girl, I guess, like, I just like, don't. <laughs> I'm like, I can't, I've never been at a point where I'm just like, Martin Scorsese, Woody Allen, like, I care. But Spike Lee, I feel like I medium care. Um, not in the sense that I like, like him, but I like, occasionally will fuck with portions of things that he has made. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I don't know. I think that, like, I really, what I did like about it is that she is, like, she's working with the sort of, like, cinematic legacies of all of these, like, famous men, um, particularly white men, and, like, making it, but, you know, produces this, like, very, like, intensely and deliberately and very uniquely Black film. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, from a, from, like, a, uh, from like a visual perspective, just like the cinematography is like on point, like it's just dope. And like the choice to like make everything in black and white and like she saw, she shot it on 35 millimeter film, like it's just gorgeous. And it has like a very, um, it has like a, like, you know, when you shoot something on a film, like it has like a very beautiful, like visual texture to it. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that was really special to me. And I like seeing that sort of like, I, just like the level of production quality and like attention that was given to like to visual form in addition to just the writing I feel like was really expert um and just like very studied you know and just like the way that the character like the character um relationships feel so organic um and real and like you know you can to me it felt it feels like you know like oh this is someone who's like seen a Woody Allen film but obviously the characters aren't like heinous hateable white people who you like don't care about like sorry <laughs> points were made yeah and like you know and like all of these like all, you know there are all these like sort of references to Spike Lee in um the ways that the city is shot I think 
the reoccurring character of the homeless man gives me like very like Spike Lee type vibes but also like you know here we can see like where you can take like extreme Mm. um visual talent and like a love for New York that's like not just like infused with just like heatfuls of misogyny all the time unavoidably um so that was fantastic for me and I want to add on to that like I don't want to piss off film people but I feel that the way that the quote city unquote is portrayed in a lot of those films um that are referenced here there's a kind of there's like a a a general kind of feel of fetishization of the city um that has always kind of made me uncomfortable the way it's shot in this movie it feels more like it's lived in you know like the city's being interacted with it's not just something on a postcard and I really appreciated that. Yes, I agree. I'm like, New York is disgusting. <laughs> like, and I say that as someone who like 100% would go there right now to move back forever. <laughs> if I could. Like, the city is gross. Like, everything is gross. Like, the sidewalks are covered in human spit. There's trash everywhere. There's rats everywhere. The subways are disgusting you're just like covered in body fluid and like smog and I feel like that's something that you get from this like not in like an ugly way but it's like that vibe of it's just like this is the place where I'm from and this is like a wonderful place but it's also a place yeah yeah Um, and it's like a place that has like actual like texture and it's not just like you know where white people from Kansas go to like fulfill their dreams Indeed, yes. <laughs> um, one of the things that I really enjoyed about this movie is that it's shockingly refreshing um, and rare <laughs> to see a movie about an older Black woman who is not married and doesn't have kids, who is just living her life and dealing with like regular life shit. Um, there's a way that black womanhood is defined in American film canon um, by these very specific or niche um, ways of being that I, um, as a 41 year old black woman, do not relate to at all. And it's frustrating as fuck to see it, to see these kind of narratives recycled over and over and over again. And it's usually in relation to like um, white norms, in my opinion. So um, it was just really nice to see the story about a woman who is living her life, um, dealing with a kind of um, a coming of age, a different stage. um, And yeah, just like there's no like trauma porn um, or pylon. It just felt very... um, of the moment to me and I really enjoyed that and I w- I'd like to think that this is the direction we're going in but who knows so <laughs> I hope so I also I love seeing that she was sexual that yeah. was like one of my favorite parts I was like I'm so happy that she's getting laid yeah um and also and like the fact that she like doesn't have kids and also doesn't want kids yeah to it's me was really pro- important like it's like not everybody wants that and this wasn't addressed at all. It just, it just was like, yeah. 
And I appreciated that because there are women out there, me being one of them, who really doesn't care about that. Like that is not um, this sort of pivot point by which we define our life. It's just, it's a thing that some people do and some people don't. And I'm one of those people who doesn't, like who isn't planning that or thinking about it. And I like that it's not, it's not a thing, you know? Yeah, I loved that. It was so refreshing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was like, yeah, it made me feel like less crazy as someone who also doesn't really want kids at all. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's just like for her, and it makes so much sense. There's just like so much other stuff in her life that fulfills her. There's so, you know, it's for a good reason to me. It made like made sense. Like not that you like need a reason to not want kids, but like she has a life that's so full um, and she's so talented and she has like so much, she just like has so much going on like in her life that, you know, it's not even, a, I appreciate that it wasn't even about that, but also like the, the things that it was about instead. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate it too. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing I really liked about this movie is the friendship between Rada and Archie. Um, it's long um, it's deep. They've seen each other through pretty much every awkward phase in their lives. Um, and what I liked about their friendship is it wasn't some gross, like, buddy comedy, tacked on, Hollywood reimagined friendship between a gay Asian man and a Black woman. It wasn't anything like that. They've just known each other since, like, the beginning, and they call each other on their bullshit. They both said some fucked up shit to each other at different points in this movie. And, but they both love each other and you just felt that. And I really loved it. They were like ride or die. Um, I think in Archie's case, a little too ride or die because there's some shit that he did that I was like, I, I don't have a friend I'm close enough with to do that. Because I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I need a non-black friend who will go to the bottom of the earth and back for me oh literally oh so gross (laughs) bring me the sun and the moon yeah but yeah and it's it's and it's always nice to see like a black woman being loved unconditionally like period so yeah that was great I love that part as well (laughs) yeah it was really and their I feel like their relationship was so funny yeah yeah like <laughs> when he calls her out on, well, okay, we'll get to it. Um, <laughs> so let's go through the synopsis of the movie. Um, so first we open with a woman in a head wrap, a night wrap, tossing and turning in bed, unable to sleep. She hears the neighbors getting it in and <laughs> like, like a kid at Christmas, she puts her ear to the wall excitedly um, and then, but the moans then devolve into sobs which is, <laughs> and she falls back quietly in disappointment. <laughs> um, we see her scrolling through channels on the TV um, and there's some terrible rap song which is recurring through the movie. Um, side note, how come all, like for every movie the made up rap songs are always terrible? Like, can't they just hire someone to write a decent song that people would actually bump? Like, is that too much to ask? I feel like I wasn't that mad at it. I can't remember what it was, but I remember being like, (laughs) I feel like 
I mean, for a rock song to be popular in New York, it's got to be a little bit better than that. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, like, yes, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but, um, and then there's... I like, do not speak for all New Yorkers. I speak only for myself and my <laughs> terrible taste and what I am willing to accept for myself. <laughs> my own personal low standards. <laughs> <laughs> um... She scrolls through a fat blocker ad. Um, you're a general like TV late night fair. Later, she spies on her houseless neighbor, Lamont, who we will see throughout the movie using the bathroom. She turns away disgusted. And then we pan across a series of pictures and awards on her mantle, including one 30 under 30 award. Then there is a series of testimonials from various people about the significance of being 40. Some good, but mostly pejorative or dismissive. She gets on a bus, clearly in a hurry. The driver is unimpressed. She, like, chases down that bus. I know, yeah. <laughs> I loved that. I, that was one of the things that I loved. I was like, yes. We cut to a young girl, Elaine, who is reciting terrible spoken word poetry Cuts to Rada's face, trying really hard to look encouraging. Rada then goes around the class asking the kids about their ideas for the play they want to put on. Rosa clearly admires and have a, has a crush on her. I also, like, I couldn't, I would, Rosa looks exactly like young Renee. Really? Yeah, so we were watching it together, and I kept on being like, why are you hitting on your teacher? That's so inappropriate. And he was like, yeah, like, that was just total me vibes. Like, the backwards cap and, like, the long braid. Just, like, identical. <laughs> um, so, yeah. There's two boys in the class. One Black and one Latinx who are adorable and ridiculous. The ideas are clearly still work in progress. Um, Elaine then challenges Rada's expertise and essentially cusses her out. And when Rosa steps up to defend her, of course, they get in a fight and get pulled away to the principal's office, I guess. Um, in the courtyard. Oh, no. Go ahead. Okay, so I want to stop here a little bit. I was super, super hyper conscious of the depiction of Elaine um, because she is a dark skinned um, black girl. And I'm just very weary of casting dark skinned black women to be like aggressive or argumentative or angry all the time. Like, to me, would it have been interesting if the roles were shifted and the actress who played Rosa had played Elaine and vice versa? Like, I'm just, I see that over and over and over again in casting and it makes me angry, it does. So I just thought it would be worth bringing up because I'm pretty sure Lena Waithe isn't conscious of these sorts of things, so yeah. Lena Waithe isn't conscious of anything, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I sneezed. <laughs> Um, but yeah, not that there's anything wrong with being dark-skinned and angry, um, and black and femme, um, but I just think that there's a way that it is depicted in movies that just pisses me off. Mm -hmm. Um, and they tried to do a little unpacking with Elaine later, but it just felt rushed and not explored. So, mm. Yeah. But yes. No, I feel that. I think that, like, the, the thing that I liked about Elaine's character is, like, later on in the movie when, like, Rada starts encouraging her. Yeah. And it's, like, literally that easy. Yeah. 
that she could have just been like I like your shitty poem yeah and you know realizes like she's just a kid and she like wants to hear that like you like her work because she like wants her approval yeah um and I liked that but I agree too and I was like I feel like it doesn't I guess we, we can talk about it now or we can talk about it later. But I think that, like, it was interesting to me how little colorism got addressed in the movie, especially since Rada's really light-skinned and, like, is hooking up with all these dark-skinned men. And, like, I don't know. I was just, like, this is just a thing. Like, I like a lot of things in this movie and this is something that, I yeah. guess, just, like, wasn't there. Yeah. And I don't know. It just felt surprising to me that it went unaddressed for, like, all the other, like, levels of sophistication and, like, conversations around Blackness that did happen you know yeah um but the end the like end about elaine and rosa gave me literally so much joy that was really cute i wish they had spent more time with it honestly but yeah who are you talking to i'm just like (laughs) yes um oh yeah okay i want to talk about this part in the courtyard um after the fight Rada calls her agent and friend Archie um, with an SOS to get her some help um, because she wants to get out of teaching. And she is approached um, by Avery in the middle of her call. Avery is a 20 year old student who is clearly trying to push up. And you see her fighting to remind herself that this is a child. (laughs) So she basically just kind of pushes him away. Um, and then whispers into the phone to Archie to help. (laughs) It is so funny. I just, like, died. So did I. (laughs) Avery also reminds her that he's um, 20 years old. amazing i was just like god bless you for (laughs) for writing this This is so good that was so funny um okay so the next scene we cut to young ma on this on the stage reciting a monologue of some sort um which is the monologue is ridiculous i don't even remember what it was i just remember laughing yeah (laughs) a producer who um, is very stoic and serious looking with locks um, is sitting in, in a darkened theater um, uh, watching young, young, young M.A. recite um, and is called away. Um, the producer who is named Forrest sits stone-faced in his patchouli-infused office <laughs> while Rada struggles and stutters, clearly intimidated by him. Um, Uh, but trying to ask for more money for the workshop production and um, passive aggressively asking for it to be upgraded to a regional production, which I think is a pretty big ask, but whatever. Um, (laughs) He invites her to sit in a very tiny bench next to him and discuss the matter with the ancestors. Um, And after some time, he um, relays to her that the ancestors seem fine with the current arrangement. (laughs) Rada applies. She's like, can we ask my ancestors? <laughs> I think they would want me to pay rent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I was like 
That was a really funny scene. Like I loved everything about that whole thing. His whole setup, including like um, a poster for one of his productions, which was called Hey Honky! Exclamation <laughs> point. And then all of like the African mask and like just the whole set design was perfect. It was like perfect. deep Amiri Baraka vibes. <laughs> um. <laughs> So we see Rada all dressed up at a social function with her friend Archie, who directs her to kiss the ass of Jay Whitman to front her play. We learn that Whitman only does black trauma porn as Rada scoffs at the idea. Archie reminds her that she almost got stabbed at work earlier and to suck it up and do what she has to do. She approaches Whitman and they have a very stilted conversation where she gives him the synopsis of the play she's working on. True to form, Whitman questions its authenticity and says it shies away from darkness. He thinks it should center gentrification and says he asks himself, did a Black person really write this? Rada looks over at Archie across the room with the universal I'm about to cut this motherfucker expression as he looks back, worried. Whitman continues that he still needs a writer for his Harriet Tubman musical. She turns to walk away, but then turns back and chokes him. (laughs) All right, so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna interject here and say, the first time I watched this, because I've watched it twice, I thought this was a dream sequence because that's what we're used to, right? You don't ever get to see the black character realize violence upon their oppressor in this real way. Like it's, all, it's always a dream sequence. It always never actually happened. So when they, go to the next scene and you realize that she actually did this shit. I was cheering a little bit. (laughs) I was happy. (laughs) Yeah. So I thought that was pretty funny. I know. I'm like, this movie is going to be bad for my arts career. (laughs) (laughs) Like coronavirus is the only thing saving me. (laughs) So... The next scene, we see her in her apartment eating ribs in a hoodie in a dark corner crying, <laughs> asking her mother what to do. <laughs> She's uh, like sitting in the, on the floor. <laughs> and I love that like whenever we see her in her apartment, it's always in her bedroom because you know she lives in like an apartment in New York. So her room is probably just her bedroom. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> That was a very visceral scene for me, the eating ribs in a dark corner mm-hmm. hoodie. With the hoodie like. pulled up? Yeah. That's when it's dark, when the hoodie's pulled up in your house? Yes, in your house. <laughs> and she's like, I just want to be a writer. That's all I want. <laughs> I love it. I'm like, I was like, I was like Harriet Tubman would have choked him. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I see no problems with it. <laughs> but apparently she felt bad. So. Um. We then see her getting her Issa Rae awkward black girl on. She's rapping to a mirror with great conviction um, from some bars that she's written in her notebook. Cut to her on a subway, staring at miscellaneous ass and writing in her notebook. Um, She meets Archie in the city um, and he starts talking about ways to reconcile with Whitman um, and make things better after her having choked him out. Um, but she starts rapping um, some of her bars and explains that she wants to do hip hop, to which Archie says, do what to it? 
Archie is quite skeptical <laughs> and seems to think that this is the sign of a breakdown, especially given the recent chokeout. Uh, Rod explains that she's drawn by the prospect of making something that she owns with no gatekeepers. To which I say, which era of hip hop is she thinking of? <laughs> that is not the current state of hip hop that we exist in. But okay, sure, why not? The one piece of this movie that was unrealistic is that she never makes a mixtape and tries to shove it into people's hands on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe people don't do that anymore because it's not CDs. But but no, she would definitely try to push a SoundCloud account. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Proud of the SoundCloud rapper. Mm -hmm. I'm fucking dead. <laughs> um, so Rada goes to meet Dee to procure beats, tracks, and pays in weed. On the spot, she says that her moniker is Rodimus Prime. <laughs> she sits and waits in the smoke-filled basement for her turn and is awakened at 2 a.m. to an empty room to find out he is gone. <laughs> I'm like, I've been getting too high and falling asleep at parties since I was like 15. 15? Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I still have a few years before 40 on me, but I don't anticipate anything changing. I think I started falling asleep around 25, 26. Like, but I'm going to be honest, if you put me in a smoke filled basement, um, I'm probably going to fall asleep as well. Like Literally, it's like that couch looks so comfortable. They're passing like blunts around. I'm like, I'm asleep. Yeah. I'm asleep. Blunts do not make me awake. At all. At all. <laughs> so. Like squeezed in between, like she's like squeezed in between two dudes, right? I'm like, I bet they're so warm. Mm -hmm. And it's like not like they're trying to heat talk glove. to you either. Like they're probably um, mellow as well. Or thinking yeah. about whatever bars they're about to put down everybody's just like nodding i'm just like you're basically being rocked in a cradle <laughs> how do you not fall asleep in that literally that's what i'm trying to say <laughs> how do you stay awake what are they doing is it monsters is that what they're drinking for loco oh my god for loco wow deep cut ariel <laughs> <laughs> Um, Archie goes to Jay Whitman to apologize on Rada's behalf. Whitman continues to talk shit and disparage her while trying to flirt with Archie, which was gross. Archie, because you know it's just a fetish thing. But anyway, Archie <laughs> continues to defend her. Um, and we learn through a flashback pic that they are longtime friends from way back who went to prom together. But Whitman basically says it's never going to happen and give it up and to stop dragging himself down with Rada's career, which was, that was brutal. So. Yeah. Um, after class, Rada gets a call from Dee saying he waited, but if she still wants the beat, she needs to come on. She walks up to see him sitting on a stoop and proceeds to cuss him all out the way, because um, of, sorry, proceeds to cuss him out. On top of some, you don't know me, I'm from here and I'm not the one, um, during which he looks annoyingly unbothered and unimpressed. He gets up wordlessly and walks into the brownstone. I hate men. He <laughs> follows him. I did not write that, Ariella. And <laughs> 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 oh, 
she follows him in and mentions that it was fucked up to let a woman walk to the Brownsville train station at 2 a.m. by herself. He responds it was actually 2.10. She walked to the corner to get some Funyuns and the train came in like 10 minutes. That was cute. That part was cute, though. I know. I like that. Yeah. I also was like, Funyuns. <laughs> okay, can I be honest? I don't like Funyuns. I don't think they're good. But okay. Okay, stop the recording. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Funyuns are so good. I literally cannot relate to you right now. I, like, don't know how we're going to do this. Because it's, like, if you don't like Funyuns, you obviously, you don't like the spicy Funyuns. No. I like pork rinds, which I think Funyuns are kind of... That's literally so different. Okay, I don't know. (laughs) That's so different. (laughs) I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm sorry. I just, it's like, they're so good. I don't, okay, you know what? It's fine. It's fine. Moving <laughs> on. Yeah, it's fine. I fuck with Rada because Rada fucks with Funyuns. So that's yeah. all I'm going to say on that. Okay, that's fair. You know. Um, so, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> we'll work through this. We will. It's fine. We'll see. <laughs> so then he turns around and he's like are you coming in or what she stalls but eventually steps up to the mic and settles on a beat that she likes she launches into her 16 bars writing about poverty porn um you regular blacks are such a big yawn she's so it's so good it's really good it's It's actually really really it's like literally so good Mm -hmm. um rada attempts to connect with d via small talk and we learn that his mom is dead um, she goes to leave and tries to pay him for the session, but he refuses and said they're good from the last time. He offers to walk her to the train station, but she says it's fine. He then compliments her flow and says she's nice. Cute sexual attention. He's literally so fine. He's really cute. And he's cute in that like um, quiet nerd way that I like. Yes. <laughs> oh, that you like, huh? I do like the, the cute nerds, yeah. The ones who don't talk a lot. <laughs> so. And the shoulders. Yeah. And the hair. Yeah. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. He's so I, cute. I didn't really know until that moment that that's where that was headed. Like at all like I did not see it coming <laughs> so I know I was surprised too and then I was mad at myself for being surprised and I was like why am I doing why am I like desexualizing this woman like for no reason yeah yeah like it was I was just I think that that was another thing I really liked about this movie I was just like she's hot and it was like so nice to see a movie where she just like gets to be hot and it's not like it, it doesn't have all these like caveats in front of it or whatever right. like she's really smart and she like she has swag yeah and she's really pretty and Mm -hmm. I like that there are so many people throughout the movie who are reinforcing how hot she is like she gets hit on by so many people she just hit on more than me I was like damn (laughs) (laughs) um she meets with Archie who informs her that Jay Whitman has okayed Harlem Avenue Harlem Ave which is her play, pending changes in length and tone. 
Rada rightly asks, asks if she wants to compromise her play for, quote, that asshole. And Archie reminds her that she choked that said asshole out and that he did not press charges. I mean, whoop-de-doo, whatever. <laughs> um, he also says that basically everyone has to compromise in order to advance and that to be the underdog, you have to lose something. Rada explains that she has a show that Thursday um, in a showcase, um, rapping. And Archie asks her to look over Whitman's notes before walking off angrily. So Archie is not really supporting this whole rap thing, <laughs> apparently. Archie doesn't. Ar- Archie is only familiar with Aquafina. <laughs> That's fucked up. <laughs> it may be. I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> I was like, Bruno Mars isn't a rapper. No. But he steals other things from black people, so. But he admits that he steals things from black people. That makes it better. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Okay. Fine. (laughs) Touche. So later on, on Thursday, we cut to a bunch of Rada students at the door of the showcase to see Rada rap. They blackmail their way in as minors. That was hilarious. That was pretty funny. Do you want to say how Rosa? Yeah, <laughs> Rosa flashes the bouncer, and it's just like, and is, and then she's like, "What?" She's like, "I'm 17. Do you want me to get you for statutory rape or something? Like you're looking at 17 year old titties. Let me in." That shit was mad funny. Yeah, I love that. I was like, I never thought of that one. It probably wouldn't work yeah. in real life, but yeah. for it was comedic gold. Um, D is prep talk is pep talking Rada in the green room. Her nerves are really frayed, so he takes her to a cipher downstairs to warm up, which seems to help. Her cipher mates seem impressed. Someone gives her a hit right before she goes on, which unfortunately makes her too mellow. She basically loses focus and starts talking to her friends in the audience and forgets the word. It devolves into a never-ending abyss of yo, 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 yo. <laughs> basically a hot mess. That was embarrassing. And then she calls out D like for having uh, a dead mom in front yeah. of everybody, which it was awful. It was, was awful. so I was just like I was like every single nerve in my body cringed. I gotta say, like I, I don't I don't partake of the, the the weed on a regular basis, so maybe this kind of speaks to that. But if I had something really, really, really important to do. I probably wouldn't smoke right before I had to do it. Like, I feel like that she knows better. She literally fell asleep and missed her first opportunity <laughs> on top of getting high. She knew better. Yeah. Like some people, you know, some people can handle their weed. Some people can. Some of but us you are not know so when lucky. You're a, you know when you're a motherfucker who can't. I know I'm a motherfucker who can't handle my weed. So what I'm not going to do <laughs> is smoke it right before I have to get on a stage. Hell no. Hell no. <laughs> no. I guess it was, yeah, that was a, a bad choice. I love that she just like made shitty choices though. Yeah. Yeah. They were really shitty. And yeah. I felt really bad for D. <laughs> She's I so- felt so bad for him. He's yeah. like, I never talk. Like, what did I do? <laughs> like, the one time I said a thing, now I'm paying for it. I'm never going to talk again. <laughs> <laughs> Later, Rada cries in Archie's arms, mortified and embarrassed, as we all are. 
She's like, what am I doing? I'm a, I'm a writer, not a rapper. Um, she goes to her class um, and eats cereal dejectedly in <laughs> Archie's place, which I understand that's often what I do when I'm sad. Um, <laughs> Eat cereal? Oh, yeah, I do. What like kind that. of cereal? Um, I used to like all the sweet, inappropriate cereals, but as I've gotten older, my stomach doesn't like them as much. So all I can really eat now are Cheerios and Rice Krispies. <laughs> I, I like Cheerios, though. Yeah, they're good. They're classic. Rice Krispies are, they're too small to me. They soak up the milk too fast. That's what I like about them, though. I like them when it gets soggy. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they talk about Archie's failed relationship. Apparently, he prioritizes work over love, which is a thing. I like that there's no value judgment made here. Like, it doesn't make him an awful person. That's just who he is. So that was mm -hmm. cool. Um, and then Rada agrees to do Harlem Ave with Jay Whitman, which mm. part of me is like... As a friend, Archie probably shouldn't have taken this decision as seriously in this moment um, where she's feeling vulnerable, but whatever. I don't know. He had what already taken it into his hands. <laughs> oh. Sorry, I'm not going to stop. <laughs> oh, that was so unexpected. I was so grossed out. Okay, we'll get to that. <laughs> We see Rada is sitting in an office chatting with Whitman and ignoring Dee's call. Rada explains to Whitman that having a black director is an import important, which to which Jay Whitman hurry, hurriedly agrees to. He then again mentions that gentrification should be front and center, and that gentrifiers need to be written into the play. I'm so tired. Yeah, that that scene was triggering for me. <laughs> like. Because it wasn't even like, I don't know if they wrote it to be a little bit over the top because it didn't read that way to me. Like this is the shit that actually happens all the time. Literally. Like, like the things that white people ask you to do around your art that they think are reasonable requests are insane. Yeah. Like I once had a film in a film festival and they asked me to subtitle it. It was in English and uh, when I was watching the film, I realized that it was the only film in the festival that they clearly had asked to be subtitled. <laughs> oh my God. And it was also the only film, like my film was the only black film. Yeah, we needed a moment of silence for that one. <laughs> so ridiculous these people are wild i was just like it was so funny and i was like yeah i don't know it's just yeah Ugh. and like his reasoning like it i feel like i've heard it so many times before right he's like yes. he's like white people won't he's like our audiences are white and they need someone to relate to so you need to write a white person into the play and like that's why yeah and you're like it makes sense like for what his purposes are and when you think about what his purposes are you're just like great well then we're yeah. never gonna fucking get anywhere yeah like what's this for what is this for and that's the thing that's all the more frustrating because jay whitman has always been very clear about who he is so in agreeing to enter into any sort of deal with him you know what you're getting into and it's ridiculous and 
unrealistic to expect anything different. And when we'll get into that later with Archie and Rada's fight, but like, like on some level, she understands that she signed up for this, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the most frustrating thing because you do kind of sign up for this when you agree to try to get to a certain level and there's no way around it. It's fucking frustrating. So uh, Yeah, it does feel really frustrating. Yeah. Um, so yeah. in class, Elaine walks by with a group of mean girls um, while Rada's teaching. Um, and she, she makes fun of Rada's performance um, by saying, yo, 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 over and over again. And then she says, Rodimus, more like Nodimus. Um, but then we, which was funny. That was funny. That was a good one. But then we later see her leaning on the wall, looking sad about what she said which was nice i liked that they did that yeah me too yeah um okay but rada did deserve to be dragged for that shit that was funny as hell honestly no it was i mean it wouldn't be realistic if teenagers didn't make fun of her for that. yeah i would have quit my job <laughs> would you really yeah i feel like if i had if i had invited my students to a show where i was rapping and then i ate shit Yes, I would definitely quit and move jobs. I would try to turn it into a lesson, a learning um, point or moment or whatever. You're a better teacher than me. I'm like, I would like literally, I've been like, I'm unemployed now. (laughs) I just humiliated myself and lost my job. And it's like, they have it like on YouTube or whatever. I would, hell no. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely not. Um, so into the workshop for Harlem Ave, the Black actress has some questions and concerns about her vernacular within the play. Why she's the only character in the play talking like that, which we all know what that means. Mm-hmm. The other panelists who are also white, who are, who are white, um, deflect the question to Rada, who really can't answer the question. Dee calls her mid-workshop to ask when she's going to come get her track. She lets him know she's essentially done with the whole thing. He reassures her that she just had a bad night. He's so nice and generous. He really is. He's very sweet. Um, But she says she had a lapse in judgment and needs to stay in her lane. Annoyed, he hangs up on her. Yeah. Um, Okay, so can we discuss that workshop a little bit? Like, I really like that they had um, the woman playing the wife, like, really call her out and ask why she's talking like this when her husband is not talking like this and like watching these white women stutter and flounder um knowing they can't really explain why they have her talking in this (laughs) weird reimagined outdated version of (laughs) aave like um but it also kind of i think it subtly speaks to the ways in which um white people read blackness on black women um differently than they read blackness on black men and i liked that Mm -hmm. i thought that was really interesting and a really like subtle nuanced point that was made without you know it being like message you know yeah and to speak also to like what we were talking about before in terms of colorism, I think to me what really stuck out is that the actress is dark skinned and like is calling out like the light skinned playwright 
who is like collaborating with these two white women and is writing this shit and isn't saying nan you know what i mean like it's just like is letting it happen and in terms of like power like has much more power than this woman who she also like called in a favor for right she's like they were like friends mm-hmm. um like i think i forget I I forget exactly what happens, but I feel like she runs into her at some point before this. And like, it's clear that they like know each other or maybe I can't remember what happens, but it's clear that they have some like prior working relationship or that they've worked together in the past. Yeah. And now that like Rada's chosen to like ally herself with these white people, um, she's like basically throwing this actress under the bus and like forcing her to do this like with her body. And, like, with her voice, which feels really ugly. Yeah, definitely. Like, and that, to me, really stuck out to me that it's just, like, it's not, it's not just Rada making this choice for herself about selling herself out. It's also, like, her being, like, now the, her, her being, not like, more than complicit. Her now being, like, an orchestrator in, like, this anti-black violence of like asking these performers to perform in these like violent and like stereotypical violently stereotypical ways you know yeah who are certainly getting paid less than her yep yeah I don't know that was interesting to me about that scene that like she kind of like I appreciated like her not letting herself off the hook for that me too me too yeah and also just I feel like that's a piece of it that doesn't get talked about either is like how black artists like fail we fail each other all the time yeah it happens pretty often yeah um just because it's it takes a great deal of work and self-awareness and constant and like um evaluate self-evaluation to not do those things because it's just easier to continue to do those things yeah um yeah. Right. And to like be an enforcer and to like basically just be like, you need to get in line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was fucked. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, especially when you're like, you're uh, an artist who is trying to fit into this mold of what success is supposed to look like, right? Like these 30 under 30 awards. We'll talk about that later. But like, she's clearly someone who's grappling with the way she thought her life would be as opposed to the reality of what it is. So, you know. yeah. Um, but yeah, um, so Dee um, over at the studio is mooning over Rada's Instagram, um, stalking her and cusses out some dude in the booth who calls him out over not paying attention. Um, he then like, crashes Rada's workshop. Um, and that's a really interesting scene because the guard um, was like trying to kick him out because he didn't believe that he belonged there. And that was super awkward and weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rada kind of de-escalates the situation and tells him to wait for her um, outside. After the workshop, she briefly discusses her frustration about Harlem Ave with Whitman and Archie who sort of dismiss her concerns. And then she rolls out with D. Um, she asks where they're going. Um, and he says, you'll see. 
They end up in the Bronx at a Queen of the Ring showcase featuring women from each of the boroughs of New York, which Rada seemed to enjoy and be inspired by. And it was a fucking, it was fire. Okay, there was some, some uh, transphobic stuff, some xenophobic stuff in those bars that I couldn't quite. Yes, know. no, that is true. But yeah, the flows were nice. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, some of some of it was clever, but I just I'm just over this whole like the, the way of disparaging someone is like calling them ugly or saying like, and especially a woman like saying that she looks like a man, that sort of thing. It just, I'm like, I'm over that. So mm-hmm. Some of it put me out quite a bit and took me out of the movie, but, mm-hmm. um, but the event looked really fun. So. Yeah, no, for sure. I like, I don't know, I guess like my, I'm like extremely desensitized. Yeah. So I was just like, for me, it was like nice to see female rappers, but like, yes, absolutely. The content of like what they were saying, a lot of it was garbage. And it's also garbage that I feel like is extremely common. Yeah, it is. And, but that doesn't make it acceptable. Like it's unacceptable. Um, but yeah. But I mean, it was really sweet that D took, like drove her to the Bronx to see that. Like he's clearly trying to like, support her dreams or whatever it was really cute yeah it was really cute yeah um so (laughs) (laughs) so she thanks d to which he responds i got you anything you need and she looks over at him (laughs) and it is honest popping (laughs) after he asks her why she always has the head wrap on she stutters through a response and then gives up and asks him what D stands for. That was a cute scene. <laughs> it was really cute. Yeah. He then asked her about her family and we learned that Rada's mother was a struggling artist. We also learned that D's mom didn't really approve of his art lifestyle. They then freestyle a rap about what they want to say to their deceased mothers, which was really sweet. It was really sweet. Can we back it up a little bit to the sex scene? Because I think we kind of steamrolled right over that. Yes. Well, (laughs) I thought it was really cute and really funny and sexy. It was actually sexy. Like they looked like they were having a good time, which I'm hard pressed to think of a scene between two black characters recently where that is the case. Um, but it was, but besides being like really sexy, it was also really funny. And I like that. So Yes. Because at one point she was like, she was screaming out his name and she was like, D. And then she was like, D-E-F-G-H. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> it was good. No, that scene was so good. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> normalize more sex scenes with black characters i think without it being weird fetishy white gazy so yeah or even weird fetishy black man gazy you know what fair point that is that is also fair (laughs) (laughs) i'm looking at you spike lee (laughs) um she (laughs) 
as Dee is leaving, um, he asks when she's going to stop by the studio again. She deflects again, and she explains she's busy with the play. Pissed, Dee blows her off and says, it's just another visit to Black Terrain for you. Which was super harsh. That was mm-hmm. super harsh. I feel like Dee is very young and quick to get angry, and that made me slightly annoyed with him from time to time. Um, she heard his pee-pees. <laughs> But um, as he's walking off, also, I like that Lamont from across the street yells out, you finally got your back blown out. <laughs> Lamont is hilarious. I love that, yes. <laughs> um, so we cut to young M.A. again reciting on stage. Forrest looks on very seriously in the darkened theater seat and says, I don't believe you. Where is the rotting carcass of your broken heart? I need to smell it. I need to smell it. <laughs> I fucking lost it. That's just hilarious. <laughs> I love when I was like I, fair critique. Yeah, I love when black artists make fun of other black artists. It's just comedy gold. It really is. <laughs> so Forrest receives a flyer for Harlem Ave and like looks pissed and rolls his eyes. <laughs> Uh, he then continues to work with young M.A. for her monologue for Black Divorcee. <laughs> Just the name of the show, I guess. I want to know, like, who she's mocking. Me too. I wish Like, I don't know enough about theater. Same. But you know it was something specific, probably. Yeah. No, totally. <laughs> so Rada is trying to pick out an outfit for opening night. Her nerves are obviously shot. She asks, Archie asks what's wrong, and she responds, it's the play, it's not mine anymore. Archie responds, the next one will be. They again get into a pretty serious argument about whether or not she's a sellout, and she walks out. Okay, we should probably talk about this fight, because it was a pretty big one. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, it's this back and forth where she's calling Archie a sellout and trying to sort of blame him for her being a sellout. Mm -hmm. And his whole thing is don't put that shit on me. This is what you wanted to like, and I'm fine with being a sellout. Like, which, I mean, I can respect that, honestly. Um, And they kind of go back and forth about who they are as people. And I just, I thought it was a really nuanced argument. I thought it was good. I liked it Um, because it was real. Uh, and I feel like she was trying to deflect accountability for the things that she's chosen in her life. And Archie, being a good friend that he is, was like, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take this shit from you. Like, you did this, you need to accept responsibility for it. And this is also where he brings up what he did to help her out. And then we see the cut of, do you want to describe it? Because... I feel like I'm going to throw up a little well, bit. Well, he jiggles Whitman's balls. <laughs> That's but what happens. Sh- but the shot was, what was the shot? <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember. You tell me. It was like, it was, ugh. Um, I guess what we're supposed to believe is literally Whitman's balls, um, like, on display outside of his pants or something. It was just this random like shot. <laughs> what miscellaneous balls. <laughs> like... That's so funny. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't I don't don't know if I have any friends who I love that much. No, I I'm pretty sure I do not. <laughs> and that's fine, you know? Yeah. But I respect I'm like, I want a friend who loves me that much. <laughs> that feels kind of one-sided, Ariella. <laughs> Sometimes, you know. Relationships look different. But also if a friend did that shit for you. Don't you feel like you're pretty much beholden to them, like, forevermore? <laughs> I don't know. I'd be like, it depends on if I ask them to do it or not. Oh, okay. That's the line. Okay. Like, if you did it and you didn't ask me and you just decided that I wanted something that I didn't know if I wanted or not, then I would be like, you made this choice. If I was like, please do this thing for me, then yes. I am beholden to that person. But if they went and did it on their own, which is what I feel like he did. Yeah, definitely. Like, she was like, please help me. But she wasn't like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But I like, I think that like, I really like, I really liked that argument in the sense that it felt really real. And I also like, I think that one of the things I like most about this movie is just that like, she's not, I feel like in a lot of movies or I feel like especially with black women in movies like it's like by the time you're 40 you're supposed to be like fully cooked like you decided what you're going to do with your life like any issues that you're working through or just like issues you're going to die with forever you know like that's just the way you are um and there's no chance anymore to like do any like recalibrating or like unpacking or like unlearning yeah and that's clearly not what's happening here yeah. Like she still has so much room to grow and she's like literally going through growing pains like right now. Yeah. You know? And it's like just like an ugly process, but it's also like real. Like all of the all of the bad shit is like coming out and like being cut away so that new can grow. And like she's kind of fighting the process in a really petulant way. But like I appreciated her petulance because I feel like we're not afforded that very often. Like, we're not allowed to be, like, you know, I'm just being a brat. Which is, like, she's being a brat. Yeah, she is. And I love that. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. I just, like, I love, I feel like there's a lot of, like, freedom that's inherent in that. Yeah. You know? To, like, not feel like you have to be, like, wiser or like holier than thou or like you know um to already like know what the true answer is because like you know you just popped out this way it's like no she needs to go to therapy yeah definitely <laughs> and yeah. like I, yeah I don't know I just really appreciated it and it was like very it was just like really soothing because it can feel really stressful I feel like even like no matter how or at least for me personally like no matter like how developed your sort of like external rhetoric around like understanding like what sort of like projected expectations around black womanhood are like it's difficult to not internalize that in some aspects yeah it is so like when you feel like you're like not a super person and like you don't have it all figured out like I don't know I feel really stressed out and this was like very reassuring (laughs) to me to see someone who's like very flawed but like clearly you know it's gonna be okay yeah yeah that's I think that's that sums it up pretty nicely um there's this idea that 
you know, your the overall arc of your of your development is supposed to be over by this set time. And that's like not the reality, especially now. Um, that arc is over when it's over. And like you're constantly changing, you're constantly growing. Um, and as someone who basically overhauled their entire life at the age of 36, like it's, it is nice to see these narratives with people who are still figuring it out. The people who like it, who admit freely that, you know, they're still not at the place that they want to be, but that doesn't mean that they hate, they exactly hate where they are right now. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know. I just think that these kinds of, these kinds of stories are just much more interesting than the ones that we're bombarded with. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. And I like the idea that, that maybe this is kind of shifting, um, our ideas of what is considered normal towards like actual life experiences, which would be a good thing. (laughs) No, it absolutely would. And it like, I feel like it really like does justice to the fact that like, you know, when you reach these points in your life, like where you are older and you're like making a shift, like it's not like you're worse off for like being at a later point in your life or being older. Like her, her rapping is so strong because she spent so much time in the arts world and she has such like an incisive analysis and like she wouldn't have had that at like 25 right yeah like she's producing this work now because she's ready to produce this work now and she wasn't ready before you know and I liked that too yeah um yeah no I was just a big fan. I was going to say, like, just to drop another plug for a different movie, but Juanita with Alfred Woodard. Did you oh, watch yeah. that? Not yet. It's still in my Netflix queue. It's mad good. I, I do need to watch it because I think my mom told me it was good, too. <laughs> and the, like, um, her man friend um, oh. is uh, Adam Beach. Yes. I'll just leave that there. Y'all can't see Ariella's face, but it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, Juanita also, like, I think, and Juanita came out earlier, too, and I had, like, I had similar thoughts. It's a little bit, like, more comedic, mm-hmm. um, like, the writing isn't quite as good as, as, um, as 40-year-old version, but, I mean, honestly, it's, like, who, Alfred Woodard could, like, could be in anything, mm-hmm. and she would make it amazing. Yeah. Which is not to say this movie's bad, it's just, like, not quite as, like, it doesn't have, like, all of the all for the different pieces yeah. I think yeah um and it's also a different like it's a different point in life it's more like I think she's like she's like very um I forget what's going on in her life but she's older she's like in her 50s yeah. anyway sorry tangential um but at this point after this big argument Rada finally visits her brother who's been calling her throughout the duration of the film to figure out what to do with her mother's artwork um, which is beautiful, by the way. Very nice, yeah. Like, I really loved her mom's art. And I also love that it felt very, like, um, situated in the period that she would have been working in. Mm-hmm. Um, and as they discuss her, it becomes apparent that her brother has a much healthier outlook on the value of her mother's life. Mm-hmm. I, but, will that I thought it was an interesting juxtaposition, the way that um Rada's brother and I can't remember his name views their mother's life versus how Rada views her mother's life um and I liked that juxtaposition 
because that felt very real to me. And then also um, it highlighted her very kind of distorted views of what being an artist is, I think, um, and how um, she defines a successful artist. So, yeah. Yeah, no, for real. Yeah, totally. Like, and also the relationship to teaching was really interesting too. Yeah. Cause she saw teaching as a failure mm -hmm. based on her mother's experiences. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I feel like this like brought up all these like real personal issues that I was like, I don't want to talk about this. But oh, okay. <laughs> no, not even in that way, but I was just like, I feel like it just hit me really deep. And I was just like, oh, like these are like real feelings. And it's yeah. been, it's just, it was a, it's been a long time since I've watched a movie that's made me critically reflect on my own life mm -hmm. in such a real way. Um, and like really been able to like shift the way that I think about myself and the way that I do things. Yeah. Um, like not shift in a way that like, oh, this movie like changed my life. But I felt like it was actually like speaking to me in a way that most movies do not speak to me. Yes, definitely um, that. And yeah, I don't know. It just felt really special. Like it made me laugh. It made me cry. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, again, that's kind of why I kind of have to like Lena Waithe again. <laughs> Did Lena Waithe do this? I'm like, how much credit can we actually give her? <laughs> like, I don't. She's partially responsible for it. I mean, but like how, what part? Like part, like, I'm just like. <laughs> At this point, I feel like bringing Lena Waithe onto a project brings money. Yes. And I feel like, I just like, I feel like Lena Waithe probably got young MA to be up on that stage reading that monologue. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> and like, maybe wrote some of the scenes with Forrest. Yeah, because I recognize some of her humor in this. Yeah. But like, I don't think that like, Lena Waithe has the range, honestly. Like, I just feel like I'm, I'm just like how, to me, I'm very judgmental because I'm just like, I feel like she's a lesbian who hates women. Like she writes women in like a really like cruel and like unsympathetic way, honestly. And is like always making jokes at their expense. I'm like, how you love women, but you don't love women. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. That shit is rude. Like some, like, I don't know. I feel like I was watching, like I watched like two seconds of 20s. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, why do you not, like, I why do you dislike black women this much? But you're like making so much money off of us. It's so annoying. Did she grow up around black women? I don't know. I can't imagine that she didn't. But it just feels like, it's like this, to me, it's like that Spike Lee shit where it's just like, you just want to like traffic in this shit because that's what makes money. And I'm just like, I don't know, maybe she has like a long game of like, you know, trading in like a certain set of like tropes or like aesthetics, mm -hmm. you know, like how, um, like, I don't think that he has a long game, but like, what's his name? Who goes blackish? Oh, um, uh, Ken, Ken, uh, Ken. Kenya Barris? Yes, Kenya Barris. <laughs> yeah, like where it's just like, where it's like, you know, you're just like creating this like, you know, or Tyler Perry too. But I think Tyler Perry's case is a little bit more complicated and I'm not not qualified to talk about it. But because of the demographic? 
or uh I just feel like he has like a whole body of work and I just like honestly I'm not familiar with the vast majority of it so like I can everything that I've learned is from things that people have told me and not things that I've experienced for myself and I just want to like and I also want to like give respect for the fact that like he also like he's very popular with with like with black communities that like I'm not a part of yes and that I didn't grow up in so I don't think that it's my place um but like for like I wonder if she's like doing this and then it's like you know take take from the rich to give to the poor kind of you know deal or whatever with Lena Waithe Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense where she's just like making her money where she can make it but I feel like listening to interviews with her and stuff I'm just like she actually believes in the shit that she writes like listening to her talk about Queen and Slim oh, yeah. no, she I was just like she doesn't get it yeah no this is that's all that's going on for her like the way that she talked about like why they had to die in Queen and Slim was just yeah. like it was embarrassing for her about that yeah is like, how do you believe that shit? Yeah. Like, it's bananas. You know that's on HBO now. I mean, good for her. I will never be watching that again. No, thank you. I'm, I am just fine. I got out of my sick bed to go see that movie. And I do regret that. <laughs> I was so excited. Lena brings her social capital and her clout to this movie. Yeah. So there are some things that she contributed. But mm. she also let other people drive. And I think maybe that's where her strength is. <laughs> I just like, I feel like, yeah, it's like you can tell where her hand's been in it, but like, I feel like it must have not been that much because I like so much of the movie. And like, usually when I can see her handprint, I'm just like, oh, that's a Lena Waithe joke. And like, I guess it's working in this context, but like, we're not friends. Like, (laughs) that's how I feel about that. (laughs) Like, that's how I felt when I was watching Bad Hair. Oh, 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 I did not watch that. I'm not going to. It was like... I heard it was terrible. I, I enjoy I enjoyed it honestly yeah like I think I don't I that is not me saying that it was good okay (laughs) I want to just make those two things clear (laughs) okay but um yeah you could tell where there and like Lena Waits in it like she acts in it too yeah and you could tell like the pieces of writing that she had contributed to as well um yeah I mean like it there are parts that I liked and the parts that I didn't like, but it was like, it was entertaining. So it's worth watching. I would say it's worth watching. Okay. <laughs> but it's also like prepare to be like viscerally disturbed by all of the um, evil weave scenes. Okay. Didn't, wait, didn't Terrence Nash do this? Nance, Terrence Nance do this already um, on that HBO series? Oh yeah, in um, uh, Random Acts of Flyness. Yes. <laughs> that, okay, all right. This was like very like campy, um, like vampire in Brooklyn type vibes, you know, like it was very like 80s. 
oh um 80s horror i like that yeah like that's what i liked about it um okay there were things there were definitely things that i liked about it like there also were glaring like horrific things that i did not like but anyway that's like how i feel about lena waith is i feel like you know it's like should we bring her on to production so that you can get better craft services I support that for everybody. So later, Lada <laughs> convinces Elaine to rejoin the class as Rosa's understudy. Rosa says she's sick of the part and Elaine can actually be the lead. They crown her queen of vaginal angst because this play looks <laughs> terrible. And she also called- This play looks amazing. <laughs> what are you talking about? All right. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> Um, but Elaine looks really happy. So that was a nice little resolution. Um, and Rosa really looked like she didn't want to do it anyway. So, <laughs> um, and Rosa is the one who actually crowned, like literally put the crown on Elaine's head. So that was cute. Yes. Um, she was extremely cute. It was. Um, Rada also calls D and explains that she always wears the head wrap for a sense of comfort, which I obviously can relate to. (laughs) But it was her being vulnerable, I guess. Um, It's really cute. (laughs) um, Rada exits. Oh, do you want to? Oh, no, no, go go ahead. Go ahead. Rada exits her apartment dressed to the nines. I really like the outfit she was wearing. Yes. Um, And her, she has waves. They're so cute. There's like slipped back with these waves. Um, <laughs> she tries to have a talk with Lamont to help figure her shit out. <laughs> and Lamont says that he refuses to be her magical Negro for the price of that dry ass sandwich with no mayonnaise. <laughs> Points were made. I was like, are you trying to kill me? <laughs> what did he say? You're trying to like, what, uh, like, Kill me slowly by, uh, I don't know, cut like cutting my throat slowly. <laughs> yes. So funny. It's like if she had been trying to murder you, she would have brought you a Popeye's biscuit. <laughs> um, all of Rada's students show up at the venue to see Rada's play, and they kind of um, we like manipulate their way in again. It's funny. But they're all dressed really nice. Um, really cute. And of course, because like, you know, she's proven to be deeply entertaining from the last time they saw her. Yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't want to miss this. That too. Yeah. <laughs> she shows out both times. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the play begins with a very splashy, up-tempo musical number with some urban kids, quotation. Rosa asks if that's supposed to be them. <laughs> At one point, there's a Dangerous Minds reference that is also hilarious. Oh, is there? Um, yeah, Rada's like, Rada's like, I'm not like dangerous. Rada, Rada says something like, I'm not Dangerous Minds, w- Dangerous Mindsing with you or something like that, oh, okay. which I just loved. Um, <laughs> she and Rose asks if that's supposed to be them. She and Elaine exchange a meaningful look. Yeah. A little... A little Cleo and Ursula. <laughs> um, Forrest looks annoyed. 
Whitman is very pleased with himself. I also love all of the like random shots of like, you know, your typical theater goater, all of like the old white ladies like holding plastic bags for no reason. <laughs> it's like, what do you have? What, what's in it? Like toffee? Tootsie Rolls? Those little anyway. strawberry candies. Oh my God, the strawberry candies. They're my favorite. Disgusting. Oh! <laughs> Whatever, you can take, you know what? You know what, okay. <laughs> You can take your strawberry candies and your candy corn. Yes. I also like peeps if you want to. Good. I guess somebody has to like them. (laughs) That's fair. More for for you. Yes. (laughs) I'll take my Funyuns. You can have them. Delicious. Okay. Okay. Delicious. They're so good. Anyway, moving moving on. There's no fun. Nobody's eating funyuns in the audience of this show. There's not a bag of funyuns or a bag of Cheetos or any, even any takis to be found in this crowd. Takis, really? Yeah, it is dry popcorn mm-hmm. and purse strawberry candies only. Okay. <clears throat> Melanie's mad. <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm just hey. Like I didn't deserve. Melly has a. I don't deserve to be attacked in this way. I just all my life I had to fight. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't I don't I don't understand sometimes. It's <laughs> just like it's fine. So. so. Um, what's happening now the play is horrific yeah it's bad um on par with a lot of lauded plays <laughs> yeah i mean I, again i know this was supposed to be like hyperbole but this was pretty spot on with some very very popular playwrights that we all know and quote unquote love who are or are celebrated right now i'm not gonna name mm-hmm. names because that's petty but I think you all, if you think real hard, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> they got a movie coming out. Just saying. Ooh. All right. Anyway. Um. So Rada sneaks in, uh, peeks, peeks, uh, peeks at the play and decides not to go in and sneaks off to the bar. We later see her stuck in the bathroom stall while two older white women discuss how brilliant the first half of the play is. That's like 100% like number one, you know, you did not do it correctly. If white people are like, I love this. That's how I know I fucked up on social media, to be honest. If I post something and only white people like it and no black people like it, I need to reevaluate it. Mm -hmm. Like something has gone terribly awry. Right? Like, I know I have given a successful artist talk to a room full of white people when I talk about my work and then the only questions are what software did I edit it on? <sighs> like... <sighs> <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> the play ends with some kumbaya bullshit between the wife and the gentrifying white woman talking about how their sisters 
um, and everyone applauds. Um, the forest breaks out the church fan in annoyance, and that was pretty funny. <laughs> that was that was funny as hell. Um, Whitman Whitman um, on stage takes his flowers and thanks the director Julie Lipschitz, who is decidedly not black. <laughs> um, they look around for Rada, um, and there's a beat, but she finally appears at the back of the theater and walks up to the stage. Her thank you begins as pretty standard. And then um, she then refers to her, to her work as a bullshit play, <laughs> on a piece of shit play. She calls herself out for writing this piece of shit play. And then it kind of rolls out into this freestyle FYOV, um, which stands for find your own voice, fund your own vision, 40 year old version, fuck you old vultures. <laughs> Which is, it was really good, actually. It was so good. <laughs> um, her students applaud happily. Um, Archie looks really happy for her. And then she drops the mic and walks off. Archie runs after her and says he gets it. Um, they simultaneously quit. And she fires him in order to save the friendship, I think. Um, and then she says <laughs> she has to go handle some business. And Archie says, okay. Don't handle your business. <laughs> Go get it. Oh, no, he says, get it. Um, so Rada rolls up on D at his stoop. They go to the corner store and he surprises her with some. What? Funyuns. Yep. <laughs> and then they walk off the escape, talking about beats and words and outro with a freestyle about the rats they see on the sidewalk, which is beautiful. I loved it. Yeah, I loved it too. It was a nice ending. I it made me so happy. Me too. It was very good. Um. So it's four now. Do you want to skip to the ratings and close? We can out? talk uh, for a little bit longer. Okay. Cool. All right. So. Um, favorite scenes. Um, I think all of the scenes where her students are coming up with that play that's just about <laughs> vaginas. That shit was hilarious. And spermicide. And yeah. <laughs> just like these sex obsessed students who are just like, I'm going to do this. And the fact that she's just like letting it happen. Like she fights it a little bit and then she's like, you know what? Just whatever. Just do it. I love that. Um, I love young Butch Rosa, mm. deeply lustful. Um, yeah, that was one of my favorites. Um, when she chokes out the theater director. Also my favorite. Yeah, truly the truly the full dream. Um, I feel like they could have spent a little bit more time on that personally, but whatever. Yeah, we could have had a flashback. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... She could have been eating the ribs and then it flashes back to her hand. She reaches for the rib and, you know, <laughs> match on action to her hand on his throat. <laughs> Comes back, her hand's covered in barbecue sauce. Mm -hmm. Amazing. I love it. Um, yeah. And then that scene with Forrest when she's like, can we ask my ancestors? <laughs> <laughs> I think they want me to pay my rent. 
Um, yeah, that was also one of my favorite scenes. Like again, anything where black artists are roasting other black artists, that is uh, amazing to me. It's always funny for the most part <laughs> because it's coming from a real place. Um, and there is something a, a very particular about playwrights who take themselves very seriously. Um, and so I really liked Forrest, he was hilarious. Um, one of my favorite things about the movie was Rada's face. Um, it was, it deserves all the Pulitzers. It told the whole story from any given scene. Um, and it had this way, her face, her facial expressions had this way of making me and the audience feel like I was in on the joke, which I really liked. Um, and then another favorite thing I liked was Lamont and his refusal to be the magical Negro. And then also just talking all kinds of wild shit at everybody throughout the movie. And then sometimes occasionally he would try to talk shit to neighbors passing by and they would cuss him out, like cuss him the fuck out, like, and give him just as much as he gave. So that was very cute too. So, like, yeah, I like that. And I liked all the inter interview um, sort of interludes with her neighbors too. Yeah. Which was definitely like a reference, which is like a, you know, that's definitely like a Spike Lee vibe. Yeah. Um, but it was so interesting to see her like return to talking to these women, mm -hmm. like through different points and like all the feedback that they were giving her just felt like very, it was like very sweet and real. And some of it was bad advice. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I like too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, were, was there anything that you didn't like? I know you mentioned the lack of discussion of colorism. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that piece was really interesting to me to have left out. Mm -hmm. um, because it's also like, right, like, I wonder, like, I mean, to me, it's just like, so clear, like, that like, part of the reason that she's like, gotten gassed up to the white by the white establishment to this point. Mm -hmm like, even though she's, like, no longer willing to go there anymore, it's, like, because she's a light-skinned person, right? Yeah. Like, and she has, like, a certain amount of, um, like, ease of moving through those spaces, like, um, because, because of that, um, yeah, so I didn't like that. Mm. I feel like, you know, I liked, I, I always want more gay shit. <laughs> we got a little taste. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, I would say again, I feel like the rap song could have been written better. The one <laughs> that they had like recurring. Um, I stand by that. And I mean, I, I don't want, I wouldn't want the story to be overwhelmed with like, the relationship between her and D, but I could have used a little bit more character development with D, just a little mm -hmm. bit. So yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so do you wanna give it our ratings? Yeah. Okay, so let me just rehash what our rating system is again, for those who don't know. Um, a five, well actually we'll start from, it's one to five and one, um, if we give it a one, it means it's bone out, frozen, basic ass grocery store party wings. You know the ones I'm talking about. Um, 
If it's a two, that means it's Dollar Tuesday's Buffalo Wild Wings. Um, very franchisey. Um, if it's a three, it's the Wingstop Garlic Parmesan Wings, which are serviceable. They're perfectly fine. Um, but you know, you're not, you know, calling your friends to come over to partake in Wingstop Wings. It's just something you go and do because they're there. Um, <laughs> if it's a four, it's the Southern Lemon Pepper Wings which are fantastic um, and pretty amazing. And if, it's, if the movie is flawless, um, we give it the real jerk chicken wings from the Jamaican spot. So, Ariella, what do you give the 40-year-old version? I'm like very torn. Mm -hmm. I would say, I think that I think for me, it's like jerk chicken wings, but next day wings. Mm. So like still, like still delicious, but like, oh, I think that there, there was just like, I, it brought me so much joy Yeah, and I would like hands down recommend it to any black woman in my life because I feel like I cannot see this movie not bring someone joy. Yeah. Like, but there were things where I was like, it's not perfect. And like, I don't think that any movie has to be perfect. Okay. But I think that some of the ways in which it was imperfect were like ways that like reified like hierarchies and oppressions. Yeah. And that to me wasn't cute. Yeah. That's real. I am inclined to agree with you. So because of that, I feel like I have to give it the Southern lemon pepper wings. Um, like you said, it's, it wasn't perfect. Um, I think it was an amazing movie. Uh, it was beautifully done um, and it did give me a lot of joy. It's always nice to see stories out there that reflect um, things I can actually relate to. Um, but yeah, there were some kind of glaring things. The colorism is a pretty glaring hole. Um, and, but yeah, like definitely Southern lemon pepper wings. Mm. Maybe Southern lemon pepper wings wet. <laughs> so, all, like, right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I feel you, I feel you. I feel like that's both, for each of us, that's our individual 4.5s. <laughs> <laughs> Relatively speaking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, no, I just wanted to reiterate, like you said, like it was so beautiful. Like that was another thing that like really gave me so much joy is that she like fucking directed the fuck out of that. She did. She did. Like it looks so good. And like, I feel like she took a lot of... Um, she made a lot of like really clear stylistic choices mm -hmm. um and i feel like that can that's not easy to do when like in the film industry the way it's set up now yeah you know like when things are going like straight to netflix like they are now like you know there's there's like a formula for how things are supposed to look mm -hmm. and she she's like really experimenting with form in a way that I found to be like extremely exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like she clearly has like a really, like a really sophisticated handle on like 
the history of film and how that's like informed like what she wants this project to what she wanted this project to look like and that to me also was that was one of the things that felt really special to me too yeah because like not only do we not get a chance to make film a lot but we also get a chance to make film that looks the way that we want it to look especially when you're coming from television right and like everything always has to be in a formula yeah definitely like yeah so I'm glad that you pointed that out because that reminded me of something that I really loved about it as well. Yeah. And I will, I would like to also point out that this movie was two hours long, which is usually way too long for me for a movie, but it didn't feel like two hours. Like, and I'm hard pressed to think about any scenes that felt superfluous or that, you know, could have been cut out. It feels like everything in there sort of added to the movie in some way. And that's hard to do, really. Yeah, no, for sure. It really is. Yeah. yeah, that was really brilliant. And I also want to mention that the first that I watched this film on election night. Oh, so that was another <laughs> instead of watching election night. Because I was like, I actually want to experience joy and happiness tonight. Yeah, You actually like yourself instead of oh. misery and anxiety. <laughs> so let me do this instead. And, you know. This is the, maybe the best. That's the, this is the best choice I made in months. Yeah, best choice I've made for myself in months. Yeah, um, and for those who don't know, this is on Netflix. So you know, get your friends um, or your ex's password, log in, and give it a shot. It's worth it. Um, like, it's 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 a very good movie. Netflix has been has been making some points lately, and I'm not as mad at them as I used to be. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's it for the 40 year old version. Thanks for listening, y'all. Uh, we will be back next month with another movie. All right, bye y'all.